He goes and gets wings and throws them on the board. Now listen, man, this guy's breaking <laughs> barriers down. You're listening to Leafs Lunch with Julia Tusheri and Michael DeStefano on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Leafs Lunch is brought to you in part by 2for1pizza.com. Enjoy plant-based garden pesto pizza, pizza and wings, pizza and penne combo, and more. Visit 2for1pizza.com. Okay, are we ready, I think, to leave the Leafs and the Rangers in our dust in that 3-1 loss last night? It's time. It's time. Um, so... Is your mic on right now? Sorry to ask you that on the no, air. No, it's not. Okay, cool, cool, that cool. Was I was really confused was by everything that was just going on there. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, let's leave it behind. I have an answer for you for who I want to own the Avalanche. Oh, tell me. Yeah, Taylor Swift. Give me Taylor Swift. Oh, you're such a scoundrel. You literally just Whoa. chose my favorite person in the world. Yeah, of course Why I would did. she ever want to own the Avalanche? No idea. You, he asked me during the break who I would want to own the Leafs. So I was like, I don't know, Justin Bieber. Obviously, I would pick Taylor Swift, but she would have no desire to own the Maple Leafs. Why does Ryan Reynolds want to own the Senator? Well, because I guess he has he's an got, Ottawa he's got connection. Some ties. Yes, he's and got like, some ties. That's fine. Whatever. Like if Taylor wanted Denver, to maybe Colorado own the Pittsburgh connection. Penguins, our Pennsylvania queen, maybe I'd be into that. But maybe, I, maybe she's just into championships, and, you know, we are the reigning champs, so let's... Don't make me start throwing chirps around, Luca, about go. where they're at right now and their decimated roster. <laughs> CJ already buried them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're leaving the Rangers and the Leafs behind us. That 3-1 loss last night in the rear view, and we're starting to get tuned up here for the Leafs and the Capitals tomorrow night. Uh, it's a game you can listen to on TSN 1050. You can start listening to pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock. Is the game 6.30 tomorrow night? Oh, that's weird. I don't know. Let's let's check it out. Oh, no, it's 7. It's 7. 7 o'clock start. Pregame coverage starting early. I like it. I like it. Ilya Samsonov will get his first start back uh, against his, his former team. And, and Ilya Samsonov has opted to bet on himself this year. He wanted a one-year deal. It was widely publicized that he... He had an option to go elsewhere and maybe get a little bit more term, but he really wanted this one-year prove-it deal with the Leafs. And as of right now, on December 16th, it looks pretty darn good. He's got the best save percentage in the league right now. Uh, and he was asked about his return to Washington. Uh, for sure, it's a big game, special for me. Uh, I'm waiting this time. I'm first time in a back to building, yeah, because the building, first time to see Washington fans after and sign contract with Toronto. I'm so excited. Uh, I believe we we good, you know. I mean, like we better team. Uh, I believe my teammates. Uh, I'm just waiting this time. I I want to get win and get some two points. Get the win and get two points and get some smiles happening. Mister Mister Ilya Samsonov has. Uh... There's no fears headed back to, to Washington. We're going to have Alan May on in the next couple of minutes, former NHLer and currently an analyst for the Washington Capitals. Uh, but I guess what most people will have their eyes on and the league will have their eyes on tomorrow night is Alexander Ovechkin as, as he chases history looking for 801. And I feel like history just tends to happen against the Leafs. <laughs> it's probably going to happen. Yeah. Is that cool? I don't know. I, I don't know either. Like last night, Noodles on the panel was talking about uh, uh, about oh god, it's not very cool that I'm not remembering his name right now. The goalie who's in the highlight. Uh, oh, Boucher, Brian Boucher. Yeah, it's Brian Boucher, and uh, Noodles was talking about that and and about how Brian Boucher had a good 
career and uh, has a su- successful career as an analyst, but now you remember him as as the guy on the other half of the sliding on Ovi's back goal. So you don't want Samsonov to end up like that because that would make it a little juicier, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. He he always just torches the Leafs too. Forty one goals in fifty four games like that. That's like what the hell? Seventy four points in fifty four games against the Leafs. So good. That that's that's murderous on on Ovi's behalf. He's a Leaf murderer. I I wouldn't want the milestone to come against my team because then you're just seeing it in replays <sighs> forever. And like it's yeah. it's cool still. Whatever. Like it's a milestone. I know it's meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Like who cares if it came against your team? It's going to come against someone. But yeah. I don't know. I just don't want it against my team. No, I, I don't think so either. And I don't. Th- I think for Samsonov, there might be a little something extra there. Yeah, he doesn't want to let Ovi score on no, him. No, he, he's he's trying to establish himself as the number one goalie in the league, and like he does not need the eight oh one highlight on his on his reel for the rest of his career, right? No, and it's also going to throw him off too because they're going to stop the game and give him an ovation and a ceremony. True, true. Maybe like, I didn't even think of that. I always find those things awkward where it's like middle of the game, a milestone happens, and like they stop, and then like sometimes people are presented with a gift or a puck or yeah. an ovation and it just throws everything off. Then you have to continue on with the hockey game. CJ, Chris Johnson told us an interesting little fact about that recently, just before we bring Alan May in, that the team has to request permission from the league before they do anything like that. Oh. Uh, so I, I, I'd assume they have that teed up I'm sure for, they're ready. for Saturday night, but maybe Alan May knows. Alan May, former NHLer and NBC Sports Washington Capitals analyst. How's it going, Alan? Uh, doing great, guys. Thanks for having me today. Have you heard any any preparation in store for for tomorrow night and the potential that Ovechkin could could break the record? Well, you, they haven't mentioned anything, but it you know you also have to have permission, I think, to empty your bench. Yeah. So when Ovi hit 800 the other night, it used to be that you had to have permission, otherwise it was a delay of game. And uh, I would expect. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of like Chicago because it's the same thing as like 800 such a big deal, Seriously. you know, those round numbers that we love in hockey. And then, you know, we've got two historic goals coming up, 801 and 802. And I, 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 I'd assume they're just going to empty the bench, have a, you know, a tribute at the first uh, TV timeout is kind of how they've done it in the past. But uh, no matter what happens, it, it, you know, you can call it awkward, call it what you want. It'll be incredible. Because we're at home and doing this right now, and I'd expect it's going to happen very, very soon. And uh, it could happen tomorrow night early. But it, it, the game the Caps played last night, you could tell that everyone was pushing for that. He was, he was on fire. The team was on fire. But unfortunately, Jake Ottinger was the most on-fire player of the entire game. Yeah, he's been spectacular for the Stars, but we were talking about it a bit before, too. Ovi's got 41 goals in 54 games against the Leafs, so like you mentioned, could happen sooner than later. But you were on the call with John Walton for Ovi's Milestone 800, and it was an incredible call. Um, if anyone hasn't listened to it, go take a listen. Um, but where does that moment rank amongst maybe the games you've been a part of as a broadcaster, and what did you think of Chicago's fan base reacting to it alongside it? Because it's it's always interesting to hear in a way fan base um, kind of be swept up in those moments and kind of suspend their own fandom for their own team? Well, I think the biggest thing with it is that, you know, for me, it, it was it was so amazing. I'm humbled to be a part of it. And I'm lucky. I grew up in Edmonton. And we had uh, tickets in the WHA. We had tickets 
my dad went and actually bought like 13 season tickets the day they acquired Gretzky because he said we will be in the NHL next year. And I don't know how he knew so much about Gretz, but it was uh, this is going to be the greatest hockey player that ever lived. And we get to see all those games. Had a great childhood, and I eventually got to play on a team with him. And I always consider myself very lucky. But the other night, how it happened that I got in the radio booth was. Our normal radio guy, I was there doing pregame and postgame stuff following the team, and the other guy didn't come on this trip. They just got off a long two-week trip, I think it was 17 days or so, and he wasn't there. So John Walton asked me, and as soon as I go, I don't know who's looking out for me, but this is absolutely incredible. And there was energy within the building, and I don't know if what that was, but after he got that first one, the fans in Chicago, I think, were pulling for him. And then to see the benches empty and to hear the fans in Chicago, an original six city, uh, knowledgeable hockey fans that love great hockey and great hockey players. I think Obi was so overwhelmed by that because he was on the verge of tears the rest of the night. Uh, I, I did a one-on-one with him after the game and he was still shaking and, you know, he, he was on the verge. His voice was cracking and uh, it, it meant so much to him. And then the tribute that he paid to his uh, teammates in the dressing room, it wasn't about me, it wasn't about I, it was about them and us. And I thought that was incredible just to show you how much he's grown up over the course of time. Yeah, that is incredible. And that's Alan May on the phone, uh, former NHLer and NBC Sports Washington Capitals analyst. When you think back to your time covering Ovi and, and him coming into the league and all the incredible goals that he's he's scored on our TSN broadcast, and I'm sure on yours too, we were showing incredible Ovi goals and it was making me take a walk down memory lane. Is there any highlight real goals? Uh, maybe not the one in Arizona on his back or one that might be a little underrated that stands out to you over the course of his career? Oh, there's a lot. And, you know, I was between the benches calling the game in Madison Square Garden, and he went, it was an overtime goal, number 499, and he raced behind the Capitals net, picked the puck, raced down the left wing, and beat his guys. I think he beat Girardi, who used to play him so well. I think Girardi has the record of shot blocks against Ovi. He, he walks by them, power moves to the net, and then beats Henrik Lundqvist, and then the celebration was on his knees. He was spinning. Uh, and the next day, they were playing Ottawa, but 499 was just so incredible to show his speed, his strength, his skill at the time, and it, it, and just a great sense of hockey and wanted to own the moment. And he set it up so he could score 500 the next night against the Ottawa Senators. And 500 was a wrist shot from the circle, a pass from Jason Chimera, but 501, and a guy that's going to be, he's on a lot of OV highlights was Eric Carlson. He walked him at center ice with, uh, with a stick move and then used the wheels to go in on a breakaway. And I just look back at those goals, and, and I'm thinking, oh, I can't believe I'm watching this and what this guy is able to do out there. And it's once again, I, I consider myself very fortunate to be able to witness so many of these goals and watch him play all the time. And, you know, he's not, he's not the highlight reel that he once was with, with the legs. Uh, you know, the body's been through a lot. I don't think anyone, as long as they've been covering uh, or tracking hits in the National Hockey League, no one, he's the all-time leader in that and with goals uh, combined. So he's a legit and the ultimate power forward that's really ever played this game. Is that what's impressed you most, covering him, covering this team for a long time? Just um, the fact that 
he has been still this durable, and he's played a ton of games, like you mentioned, the wear and tear on his body, but um, the durability, the lethal shot, like what has impressed you most as you've watched him evolve and the longevity to which he's still maintained this greatness as far as goal scoring goes? How he's adapted to how the game is played, and, and the structure of the game changes every few years, in my opinion. And he has evolved with it and, and evolved with the coaches. They've had some great coaches here. They've had some fire wagon. They've had defensive coaches here. You know, one really bad coach. And he's done whatever he's had to do to play within the system. And he, he just continues to amaze me that he adapts. But he finds ways to score goals. And, you know, look in Chicago the other night. You know, the way the league is playing with the overcoaching, five and six and seven coaches on the ice at practice, and you got all these other people that come on after practice, uh, he, he starts going to the net because, you know, players and, and teams are, you know, creating defenses. In his entire career, they're creating plans. Every game, how to stop him, and he continues to find a way. So I think the nights they need him to be physical, He's a wrecking crew. The night they need him to come back and, you know, be in the middle of center ice for the for the uh, defensive structure that they have between the blue lines, he gets back there. But he still finds a way to get those goals. So I think just that, that he's adapted and he, he's a physical force. And we know that his skating's not where it was, but he finds a way to do the right things. Yeah, really impressive. Just one of the all-time greats, and it's a treat to get to watch uh, Alex Ovechkin night in and night out do his thing. We're with Brad May right now, who's a former NHLer and an NBC Sports Washington Capitals analyst. I wanted to ask you about some interesting comments uh, post-game from TJ Oshie. So much hype around Alex Ovechkin, of course, and the tear that he's on and, and the history that he's making right now. But TJ Oshie kind of wanted to... Uh, I almost said fan the flames. That's the exact opposite. Put some water on it. He said, we're trying to win games here. Ovi's going to do it, and we're all going to be the first ones that are going to congratulate him and be super, super proud of him. But also, in a little bit of a hole right here as a team, do you think it's been difficult for the group to kind of balance what they're going through as a group but also be really excited for Ovi with what he's accomplishing? No. And it, I think what TJ, when he answered that last night, uh, was the fact that he probably felt that question was out of a little out of order for the time, right? Because they lo- they lost the game they should have won. Uh, they played very very well, and no matter what, when you lose, you're upset. They wanted to get into a playoff spot. They, you know, they're dancing on the edge of the wild card right now. At one time, I think there were four or five games back uh, from a wild card spot, and they were down you know about five more places in the standings. And they had $42 million out of the lineup for about three weeks. And they want to get in the playoffs. They don't want to waste this time. And TJ's another guy. He's, what is TJ? Is he 30, 34, 35 years old? Ovi's 37. And everyone talks about their age, but, you know, they're still very intelligent hockey players that have the heart to win. Uh, they've got a coach that's dealt with a ton of adversity since he's been here. But they want to win, and they want to start getting up in the standings. And so I, I think that was more on, on the part. You know, we know that Ovi can do this while they're winning. They prefer to him break the records in winning causes, yeah. like the other night in Chicago, the other night in Winnipeg. So it's just a matter of that. It's just, it, you know, they don't have to worry about it. it, it, it and they're, they're all there for Ovi. He is a great captain. He's a great leader. He's one of the funnest guys to be around. He's, uh, he's a five-year-old in the dressing room. And Jonathan Tave said, I don't really get to know Ovi that well. I've only, you know, hung with him a few times. But what I love about him 
because he's a little kid. He loves this game so much, and he's always having fun. His teammates love him, and that's very important. And so I, I think it's just a matter of they kind of want him to get there, and then they can just start worrying about winning games. And, you know, after that, there won't be these other questions for about another season or so. Speaking of former teammates, or teammates rather, he, he can score 801 and maybe even 802 against Ilya Samsonov, who is first game in Washington since he, he kind of left, and there's been a lot of changes in the crease in Washington. Um, just what do you think of his resurgence with Toronto and, I guess, the decision to move away from him if you're if you're uh, the Caps and, and go a different direction and Darcy Kemper giving him that long-term deal? Well, I think the biggest thing with, with Sammy is that this he got traded. He was a first-round draft pick. Uh, he was unreliable. You could see how much was there. The conditioning was never where they wanted it to be. The you know the the consistency and there's a, there's a multiple reasons. It's not just on him that you know he didn't always get the wins and everything, but you know they wanted him to be the number. One. They really wanted him to take control. And I, I believe the thing for him was to move on. And you know, okay, it's a wake up call. You know that you got to be all in all the time, twenty four seven. And you know the big thing about the younger player, adapting and growing into these roles and knowing how to do things. And you know, I, I think that it, it helped him moving on because all of a sudden he's not the first round draft pick anymore. He's just another guy you signed. And so I think for Sammy, it's a good thing. And it also is a team that's eaten up goalies over the years, the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Uh, it, it put everyone else on notice. It, it's the coaching staff, management, coaching staff, all the players. You've got to be better. You've got to play a better style of play. And then at the same time, you've got to take away all the excuses for the goaltender if you're playing with more structure and a better quality of defense and from him and a, and a commitment when you don't have the puck. And you goal. And stopping all the ones that he ha- that he can and he should, and then come up with a few spectacular ones, and you're starting to get that. We saw that last year. He came in the playoffs, and and all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is the guy you want to see. And then he had a really bad last game when they got eliminated from Florida. But yeah, I don't I don't think it was personal. I think it was just a matter of this is time. We we and they took it away from the players too. All right, we, we've had excuses with two young goaltenders here. Now we're going at this vet that's won a cup who was the backbone of Arizona and when he was there. He found a way to get the, the game-winning uh, saves with the Colorado Avalanche. And now it's the same thing with the Capitals. It's on everyone else, coaching staff and players, too, to play with better structure in front of the goaltenders. Yeah, it feels like that one's worked out pretty well for both parties. Okay, this is completely off-ice related, but was he as much of a, quote, machine in Washington as, as he is in Toronto? Like, the media just loves this guy. He's hilarious. Well, no, he wasn't. He was very interesting. Uh, reserved. Yeah, and, and there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of things that must go into that. So, you know, it's just part of the you know growing up and and taking ownership of who you are and what you do. And I'm happy that things are working out for him because I always thought he was a, a great goaltender. Then we, you know, he'd kind of have a collapse, and you go, you know, what's going on here? And they put everything in place for him to be successful here, and it's great that he is able to relax and finally, you know, be who he is and play consistent hockey and get the, the W's when he needs them. Yeah, it's cool that that's translating off the ice, too. Uh, well, Alan, thank you so much for your, your insight and your analysis, and, and we hope you enjoy the game tomorrow night. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care and enjoy the game yourselves.
Thank you. Alan May, former NHLer and NBC Sports Washington Capitals analyst. I'm shocked right now because I, 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 yeah, Samsonov has been like a machine with the media and with the belt and with the guys in the room. Like he just seems like a really light, fun loving guy. Uh, but when things aren't going well on the ice, I guess it translates to off the ice too. And it's interesting to hear him described as reserved just a year ago. Yeah, I didn't know anything about him as far as the Washington days go, but if you were to just be like, hey, look at look at this guy's fun media moments. Yeah, you'd only he's have hilarious. Toronto clips, you'd think that that was just him throughout his entire career or that's who he is. And maybe it is. Maybe it it just like you said, it doesn't come out in the struggles and when you're being asked about poor performance, it probably doesn't lead to many great quotes and yeah. things of that nature, but I love that he's just embraced it because we always hear about how the Toronto media is the hardest to deal with. Obviously, it's a team that is covered by so many different outlets. And so the fact that he feels comfortable enough to be himself and and have these kinds of quotes and sound bites it's great that's awesome yeah he wanted this like his i have his instagram in front of me right now this is what he posted right when he signed with the leafs i'm very excited to be joining the leafs organization it's an honor to play the sport i love blah 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 in the center of the hockey universe for an original six team in front of the some of the most passionate fans in the league see you soon like this guy wanted the smoke coming into the season he didn't want the longer deal to to get his paycheck no matter how he played he wanted to prove that he was a good uh potentially number one goalie in this league, at least a really great tandem goalie. And so far, best save percentage in the league. Like This could not have worked out any better for him. Uh, and I keep saying as of December 16th, because the wheels fell off for him a bit last year. Yeah, and I mean, you're used to the wheels kind of falling off in net because we saw it with Jack Campbell at times. So Yeah, um, he and was, that whole 18-wheeler quote, we're used to the wheels falling off things. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant in the first half of the yeah. season, and then after the All-Star break, it was just kind of downhill. So um, it's a long season, but it feels different this year where you feel like you have two number ones so far. Let's see if that yeah. lasts. But last year was just like you had Jack Campbell and then Peter Morazic had to try and step in and he was not equipped to be that Hot guy ice. when Campbell was hurt. And then you had Shalgren take his job basically. So yeah. it was weird. And, <laughs> and now we're in a good state with goaltending and then hopefully uh, I was going to say, hopefully Alex Ovechkin doesn't get his, his record time goal against Ilya Samsonov, but I don't know. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know if it really matters. Can you guys text us ten fifty fifty or tweet us if you think it matters if if Obi gets the goal against the Leafs or gets it against something somebody else if it's a slide against the Leafs or if you care at all? I'm I'm curious to know your thoughts because I don't really know how I feel about it. Uh, I also don't really know how I feel about that controversial offside call last night in overtime. Uh, against Connor McDavid, we talked about it with Chris Johnston. The way that he he popped off with the, with the media when given the opportunity, and you know the call had just happened, so he was probably hot about it right as he got off the ice. But we're going to have Dave Jackson on. He's a former NHL ref and currently an ESPN rules analyst for the NHL. So we'll decipher how we feel about it once we talk to him. Uh, for now, you're listening to Leaves Lines with Julie Tashiri and Luca Chalabre here on TSN 1050. Now, back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. I need you to hold on. Watch, I'm wearing a mic. You better be careful what you say. Oh. <laughs> Edmonton, number 56, minor holding. 
Shout out to refs that have your back, you know? And you know what? This is, honestly, some of our viewers aren't going to like, their listeners rather aren't going to like this. This is a pretty ref-safe zone. Like, we've both refed. I love refing. Oh, I don't love refing. Let me just be clear. Like, I... I I did it at (laughs) some point, and then the parents... I have mad respect for it. Yeah, I, I was, like, 14 years old with my little ponytail coming out of my helmet out of... Adam game and I had parents standing on the glass banging it. Like, it was not an enjoyable experience, but I have tons of respect for it. Yeah, I there was a point I enjoyed it and there was definitely a point where it was like, this is too much. You should not care this much about... $8 your, an hour is not yeah, enough for this. <laughs> your six-year-old son playing house league <laughs> hockey. Like, if he turns out to be the next Crosby, sure, go ahead. He's not going to on this night, though. Yeah, like, I gotta go to therapy now. I'm getting eight fifty an hour to ref this game. Like, this is not working out. Yep. Uh, but that was a pretty cool move from that ref last night. He gave the little warning. Hey, we're wearing mics now. Yeah. Uh, so don't say anything idiotic when we're going Going to the box. And we're going to have Dave Jackson on. He's a former NHL referee and currently ESPN's NHL rules analyst on in a second here to, to talk about last night's controversy uh, involving the overtime goal called back in Edmonton. So without further ado, let's bring him in right now. Dave Jackson, former NHL ref, ESPN NHL rules analyst. Dave, you're fighting for your life on Twitter right now. You're doing the good work out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going for a skin graft to fix the uh, skin on my thumbs a little later. Uh, <laughs> God, yeah. It was, a, it, was a, it was a long night. Okay, so we're, we're going to have you do it one more time, but we're not going to make you talk it out, luckily. It was a controversial disallowed goal last night for Connor McDavid and the Oilers in overtime, nonetheless. But you broke it down uh, really well on Twitter as to why it was the right call. Can you give our fine listeners the Coles notes as to why that is the case? Absolutely. I mean, it really, if you take the emotion out of this call, it's really pretty simple. And I'm saying that watching it on, on video, it's slow motion. It's not simple on the ice. I mean, that was a bang-bang play that is very tough to call. And, uh, you know, I don't blame the linesman for, for waving it off. Um, judgment uh, and control is so subjective. But if you break it down, when you have the advantage of the uh, video, high-def, slow-mo, he comes across the blue line. He has possession and control of the puck, which is important. As he gets to the blue line, before his feet have even entered the zone, he's no longer touching the puck. It leaves his stick. The last time he touches the puck, his feet are on the blue line. He then propels it across the blue line, sort of a pass to himself, which would be perfectly legal if he were to pick up the puck once he was inside the blue line. Right. However, however, the puck comes into the zone, and he never touches it again. He gets physically engaged by the defenseman. It then becomes a battle for a loose puck. It goes underneath McDavid's skate. He never touches it. It goes between the defenseman's legs, and the next time that puck is touched is by the defenseman's defense partner, who poke checks it to Dreisaitl, who then passes it to McDavid. McDavid never touches that puck until he receives the pass from Dreisaitl. Therefore, he doesn't have control of that puck. It's black and white. So the two things that happened after that on Twitter, after that explanation, because I was reading the reading the thread and following along were people saying, okay, how is this any different than the Makar goal? And then the other one that got referenced was the Kuznetsov goal from, um, I guess, a handful of years ago, I, I believe. People really do their research, I will say that. Oh yeah, like I didn't even, I've never seen that Kuznetsov goal ever in my life, but they dug back into the archives and were like, what's the difference? So for anyone yeah. that has brought up those points, 
points because you did a great job on Twitter clearing that up, and they are different, but the Kuznetsov one, I guess, is the most similar one to the McDavid one. So if you could just clear up those differences now forever. Sure. I'll start with the McCarr one. That's easy. That is completely dissimilar. There's nothing at all on that call that it was uh, resembled last night's play. And McCarr's play, he was not inside the zone. He was in a neutral zone. Mm-hmm. The puck was across the blue line. He did not make contact with the puck until his teammate tagged up. It was a microsecond delayed offside. So that is completely dissimilar to last night. The Knetsoff one, I'll agree with you, it's, it's almost identical. And as I said at the beginning of this, when I explained David's um, entry into the zone, he propelled the puck across the blue line. He didn't carry it. He was in possession of control. He propelled it to himself. Unfortunately, he never picked it back up. Mm. once it crossed the blue line. In Knetsov's case, he propelled it to himself, picked it back up when he crossed the blue line. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so following the game, Connor McDavid had some comments, and he, he if you listen to it, he actually didn't really criticize the officiating. He, he was more critical of the league and uh, the way that, or maybe the lack thereof of the way that they've uh, gotten the information regarding rules and stuff to players. Do you buy that? Do you, do you think it's a little confusing for players? You know what, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to preface this with, I'm going to say, Connor McDavid is one of the top three players I've ever been on the ice with, had the privilege of doing it. He's a great hockey player, and he treated me not, nothing. I mean, he treated me like a gentleman his yeah. entire career when I was on the ice with him. But Connor's not alone. The players and a lot of coaches and a lot of people around the game don't pay attention to the rule memos, the videos. I mean, the NHL puts out videos every fall, sends them to the teams, tells them, watch these plays. And nobody watches them and nobody cares about them until it happens to them. And then they say, hey, nobody understands this rule. Well, I laugh because anybody that pays attention to the rules, any any, um, people in hockey ops, any uh, coaches, players, scouts that understand the rule book, that was a a no-brainer last night. It was obvious it was offside. I'm laughing right now because every day here at Bell Media, we get training modules that none of us have completed <laughs> sent to us, and I'm feeling like it's kind of the same thing. The, the NHLers are not, uh, not reading their training modules that they get on their daily emails and ignoring them the way that no, if, kind if of the rest of the world does. No, if it does directly, there's, there's no incentive to read or, or uh, you know, educate yourself on these things. That's just human nature. Yeah, totally. Okay, last one before we let you go. This kind of led to a debate uh, about really ticky-tacky reviews that the NHL has gotten into now, and we were blaming Matt Duchesne for it because it kind of all stemmed from that. And, well, and, it all stemmed from that. Yeah. You're exactly right. Exactly. So so where, what's the referee perspective, and I feel like it's kind of obvious, on uh, the ticky-tacky reviews? And then we kind of talked ourselves into a circle in saying that even if they took away the reviews now, stuff's going to get kind of reviewed on social media to the nth degree anyways. Correct. I mean, I remember Mr. Bettman saying uh, when we originally, the whole thing came in for video review, he said, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. So we brought that in to fix a 10-foot offside that decided a game that happens once every decade. And we said, no, we need to bring a mechanism in to fix that. But the problem is you can't pick and choose which calls you're going to review and which ones you aren't. It's either all or nothing. Yeah, so here and, we are. You know, it's a slippery slope. So now we're at the point where we review offside plays that are millimeters offside and it was never intended for that but there's there's no way around it you you can't then say well we're only going to review six inch offsides or we're only going to review 18 inch offsides it's either all or nothing 
Yeah, it's it's a fascinating conversation, and we see it in all sports too, where it's just like every every sport has that one egregious call that then brings in reviewing everything. So um, players are, I mean, players, fans, whatever. There there are so many different opinions on it. Before we let you go, I, I just had one more question for you about yeah. just when you hear a player, I guess, talking after a game about the officiating or about rules or things of that nature. Um, you had a long career as a referee, but did it did it feel different when you first started? You you have to have thick skin. They, that that's what they tell you every time when you're a referee, even when you're just first starting out as a as a minor hockey referee. Um, did it ever get to you? Do you ever talk to that player at some point, or do you kind of just brush it off? I imagine every situation is probably different. Well, you're absolutely right. When I first got to the NHL, I couldn't wait to pick up a newspaper the next day and see if they talked about me or turn on the TV. And then after about, after about a month of that, I realized it was soul crushing. (laughs) The only time they ever talked about me was when I screwed up. And, you know, I mean, it was quite often. So um, I made a point my entire career. I mean, I'm so glad Twitter really wasn't a big of phenomena as it is now. Um, I had no social media. I didn't read newspapers. And I didn't watch sports news. I just refused to do it because if you do that, it gets in your head and it just crushes your confidence. It crushes your soul. So my, I guess the short answer is no, I, I didn't talk to that player if he said something about me because I wouldn't even know about it. Yeah. Well, kudos to you. Me and Luca were just laughing before we brought you on because we didn't even make it out of Adam refereeing. The parents were too vicious for us. So congratulations on, a, on an illustrious career. And, and thank you so much for, for joining us today for your insight. Oh, it's my pleasure, please. And any any time. You guys have a great day. Thank you. Dave Jackson, former NHL ref and currently ESPN's NHL rules analyst. Yeah. I I didn't have the stomach for it, Luke. I just didn't. One day at Tournament Center in Thunder Bay. Uh, no, it wasn't a day. I did a whole season. I don't know why I'm knocking myself like that. But it was one specific tournament day <laughs> in which it was many games in a row. And the parents were mean. I could literally still tell you the name of the parent, and I'm not going to say it on this program right now, but I know exactly who it was. And my dad was also around the game, and he walked all the way around the rink, and I think yelled at him. So showed it to my dad for that. Oh, that's great. My dad would come to games, and if I made a bad call, he would let me hear about it. So that that was always fun. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is so iconic of of Melo to do. I honestly wouldn't expect anything else from him. I I refereed throughout high school, so I basically did it up until I graduated high school, started in grade nine. Yeah. Yeah, I got to the point where I was, I was like a linesman for starting to do like double A and triple A games and like, Actually, kind of taking it seriously. Um, And then, obviously, you go to university and school and you don't have time and anything like that. But, like, it was a lot of fun. The thing I enjoyed most was always just the conversations between whistles with players or even just, like, talking to them when they're playing. So it's just like, hey, like, don't hit them from behind. Like, see the number. Like, (laughs) just communicating. Yeah, Yeah, but it's the communication. And I imagine, like, refs are mic'd up all the time. We played that one coming into this section. They're talking out there to these guys all the time, and there are constant conversations, whether it's players being like, hey, like this happened back there, don't know if you saw it, trying to just make them aware, or refs being like, no, I did see it, this is how I saw it, maybe I was wrong, but this is what I saw. And yeah. it, it has to happen for any mutual understanding. The parents were the ones that ruined it for me. Right, I never, I honestly never had really a hard time with coaches, because you can go over no. and have a little chat. It's always like the parents hanging over the glass, and I'm like, what is going on? You guys are adults. And it's, it's like, 
not to say like it's it's house league hockey. It's not <laughs> yeah. even if it was AAA, there's no excuse for that behavior. But it's just like your kids are playing hockey for the first time. Yeah, they don't want to remember you Getting jumping on the out. boards. Exactly. I've seen my oh, dad get toss. kicked out of so many really? games. Oh my god, that's so funny. My he was our trainer. Really did. Oh he was my our gosh, trainer, and he was on the bench. And I remember, like, there was one time that stands out. He's like, zebras don't intimidate me. I was in the penalty <laughs> box, and he was on the other side arguing about why I got a penalty. And then my buddy skates over, and he's like, do you hear what your dad just said? I was like, no, I'm over here. He's like, he's yelling at the ref saying zebras don't intimidate him, and now he just got kicked out. And I'm like, okay, okay. that's that's Thank him. you to him. So what? my mom would, like, sit us down. You know when you get, like, the post-game pep talk from yeah. your parents? She would have a post-game pep talk with him being like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> stop talking. So Your parents are the best. It was man. very fun. That was a long-winded story, but thank you for listening. Uh, no, that's a great one. <laughs> I will never forget. It was somebody else's dad, but we were in the stands in this tiny town called Nipigan, where it's like an hour away from Thunder Bay, and we'd go for a couple games a year. And the refing, the refing was always kind of haywire because it was the city team versus kind of the sticks team out in Nipigan. And, and I, the game got out of control, and one parent was standing with a garbage, a full garbage can with garbage, can, garbage falling all over him as he had it in the air, yelling, "This is trash." <laughs> <laughs> a full-on display. There of... was garbage flying everywhere, and he had the garbage bin over his head saying, This is trash! It's incredible. Oh, God. Minor hockey is the best, uh, and also the worst simultaneously. I've got so many stories. I, we, I know we I know. don't have a lot of time. We but need I'm... a secondary show called... so many. <laughs> called Minor Hockey Lunch. I was never... I'd never played in the GTHL, though, and somebody, I, Quinn Hughes, I heard recently say that it's the hardest league in hockey, and I honestly believe it. I believe it, too. I believe it. Uh, okay, the Leafies on the other side. we got to hand out some awards from this week. The streak came to an end, but it was a great stretch nonetheless. So we'll check you on the other side. Julia Tashiri and Luca Celebre here on Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. This is Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Honor. Prestige. A celebration of... The waitress tripped on the court. Presenting the Leafies, a celebration of Leafness. What am I going to do with the award? Nothing. That's the least of my concerns right now. On TSN 1050, the Leafs live here. by Vanilla Visa prepaid cards available for purchase at Petro Canada, the perfect gift for any occasion for your chance to win a $100 Vanilla Visa prepaid card. Text the keyword lunch and your name to 105050. Standard text message rates apply. Uh, that was the Leafies. You heard the sting for it. And we'll get into it in a moment. We'll hand in our awards for the best Leafs of the week and so on and so forth. But to continue our conversation regarding um, ridiculous situations involving referees in minor hockey, we got this text from Sorry, I just choked mid mid oh. sentence. We got this this text from St. Catharines. I was like 13 and made an obvious penalty call shot. Sorry, penalty shot call in house league finals. Parents were throwing pop and popcorn all over me as I left the rink and then locked me in the referee change room because it was one of those doors with a deadbolt on the outside. The arena attendant had to come let us out. Never refereed another game again. That is the meanest thing I've ever heard. Parents, like, they, they honestly should be charged for that. That That is borderline for sure. It's like assault on a, on 
a, a minor. Like the kids are little, and and this is an issue that's actually like not to get serious. For no, me. it literally yeah. is an issue. There are not enough referees willing to do that job for how uh, for any amount of money. No, they can't get kids to put on the stripes anymore and go to games. I think they have special. I think I saw last year from. Uh, the OMHA, that they have special bands now to show that a referee is a minor. Like, so they're not wearing orange. They have, like, another yellow band, or can somebody text me and correct me that's in the minor hockey circle more than I am? Green or yellow bands or something to show that they're minors. But whatever the case may be, just don't be a psycho at a hockey arena. That's just the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's nuts. Um, madness. Pure and honest madness. And with that, let's get to uh, our leafies. For the week, our, our Dougie for the best player feels like we'd be crazy to give it to anyone other than Mitch Marner, who didn't put up a point and extend his point streak to 24 games last night. But uh, in the last 23 games, 11 goals and 21 assists. Like, we got to give him some love for that stretch. It's been a treat to watch. And like we said to CJ, it's almost easier to put into perspective now that it's over. And it'll be easier to continue to think about as he, he gets a three or four game point streak here and there. And mm-hmm. you could really grasp how crazy it is that he picked up a point for 23 games in a row. And you think about how crazy those streaks are that he was coming near. Um, it, it's an incredible accomplishment. Yeah. Only two players of the century have more consecutive games with a point than him. Crosby and Patrick Kane. Yeah. It, He's in that conversation now. He is. It's it's incredible, and it felt like it was a given that he was going to put up a point every single night. He was just rolling that well. It's a shame to see it end. I, I heard Aaron Kronick say on our morning show, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it's happened. Classic. Um, so that's where we're at with Mitchie Marner right now, the best player of the week for the Leafs. The Carlisle, the Rhymer, the just okay player. Dennis Malgan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to rip into him too much more. Yeah, we we've said our piece on on Gino Malgan and where we're at with him right now. He just hasn't been given enough. The Wendell, the heart and soul. You know, not his most effective game last night, but Mark Giordano has continued to be that guy on the blue line as as more players continue to fall one by one, uh, and he's continued to be that heart and soul. Sorry, I'm ripping through these now. The Vive, the underrated player. Pontus Holmberg. Yeah, he, he's been so good. He got the highest of high compliments from Sheldon Keefe in saying that it's almost impossible to find an error in his games. He's dressed for 15 straight games with the Leafs, played more games with the Leafs than the Marlies this year, which is a win when you think about where the organization was at with their young guys last year. Um, and and we didn't give him enough love this week. So shout out to Pontus Holmberg and, and the way that he's progressed this season. But we've run out of time, Luca, today on the show. So if you miss any of it, you can find it on tsn1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Julia Tashari and Luca Celebre, that's Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. Gameplay is next.